in his presence, spending time in the presence of God. Um, life can take some pretty unexpected twists, can it? I think this last week as we celebrated, or not really celebrated, but remembered uh, 9-11, uh, the events that changed our country, I listened and I read different people sharing where they were when they got the news that the World Trade Centers had been hit. And, um, and I think we all probably, if you were there, you, you know, around at that time, you remember where you were. That was something that just, um, it caught your attention. And uh, I remember that morning thinking uh, immediately, just as soon as these things, I'm thinking, things are going to change. Life is going to be completely different. Our country is going to be completely different. Uh, things are going to change. And they did, didn't they? Um, travel became more difficult. The airport screening became more difficult. Going just places that you would normally go, the security was beefed up. And even to this day, uh, 14 years later, things are still different. But that just goes to show you that, that just in one phone call, life can change. And it doesn't have to be a 9-11 event, does it? It can be other things in life, too. It could be a call from a doctor uh, giving you the results of a test. And in one phone call, life can change. It could be a phone call bringing you sad news of someone passing. And isn't that the case that when those phone calls come, life changes? It just changes, and it changes quickly. It could be changed as quickly as a boss handing you a pink slip when you go into work the next day or at the close of your work day. And maybe a job that you thought you'd have forever is gone, and life has changed. It could be uh, the economy. Just a few weeks ago, we had a morning when we woke up and the headlines in the news was that the stock market had plunged so many points and everybody was shocked by it. But it just goes to show you how quick life can change. It takes all sorts of twists and turns and it isn't always what we expected. And really, that's what the Bible tells us about this life is that we, re- we can't count on everything remaining the same. We can't count on things always being good. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus said, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And that's some good advice. Even though we know tomorrow things may change, we shouldn't stress about it. We shouldn't worry about it. And then he says this, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, we've got enough to deal with today rather than worrying about what the changes are tomorrow. In Proverbs 27 and verse 1, Solomon in his wisdom said this, Do not boast about tomorrow. And often we think of that and we think that maybe we'll die tomorrow, and that certainly is a possibility with every one of us. There's no guarantee that any of us will will live another day. This may be our last moment. This may be our last service in this church. Uh, This may be our last lunch. So hit the buffet and live it up. Amen? Uh, But there is no guarantee of what tomorrow holds. But then he says this. He says, for you do not know what a day may bring. Now, the older we get and the, the further we are in this life, we begin to realize just how, how true that really is, don't we? That a day can just bring so much change. Here we are today, and we're worshiping the Lord. We're singing, and we're laughing, and talking with one another. We're enjoying the, the songs that Brother Doyle sang, and, and we just are enjoying being here in God's presence with one another. But what is waiting for us tomorrow? We don't know. Proverbs 27 and 12 says, A prudent person or a wise person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. And so today, I want to urge you to be like that wise man, to foresee danger or at least the potential of danger, to look ahead to tomorrow and and realize that tomorrow may be completely different than today. 
that even though life is well right now, it may not always be that way. And so if we're like the wise men, we need to take precautions. We need to be prepared. We need to take some steps. So I want to encourage you to take those steps, to prepare yourself for what tomorrow might bring in your life. And nothing will prepare us better for what the future holds than just spending time in the presence of God. Isn't it amazing how when tragedy strikes, people want to run to God, don't they? In fact, we mentioned 9-11. It was interesting. After the events of 9-11, the churches filled up very quickly. People who hadn't been in church for years all of a sudden were back in church and on their knees. And and sadly, it didn't take too long until they got comfortable again and, and they disappeared from the church. But wouldn't it be better for us if before the trials come, if before the hardship comes, if before tomorrow's heartbreak comes, if we were already spending time in the presence of God, maybe we'd be more prepared for what tomorrow holds. Andrew Murray said this. He said, let it be your business every day in the secrecy of the inner chamber to meet the holy God. You will be repaid for the trouble it may cost you. The the reward will be sure and rich. In other words, the time that we spend with God in our private devotional life is going to be rewarded. That discipline that we take to maybe start the day each day with 20 to 30 minutes of reading the Bible and praying. And and we may say, well, I'm so busy. I just can't do that. But the time that we invest in that will be rewarded. That maybe when the next tragedy comes, we'll be more prepared for it. We call these times devotions, don't we? And many times we hear people talk about devotions. We were at camp this last year, and one of the kids we mentioned, go to your cabin, you got to do your devotions. And one of them said, what's your devotions? And I got to thinking, many times we just throw that word out there, and we really don't think about what it means. And we say things like, I, I, I did my morning devotions. Or I need to have some time to do devotions. Or we need to take the youth group on a trip and and have devotions. In fact, I looked in the bulletin and tonight we're going to have outreach night. We're going to go out and visit folks in the community. And and in the bulletin it says we're going to have devotions and then outreach. And maybe sometimes we look at that devotions and say, what in the world is devotions? Webster's Dictionary defines devotions this way. It's a feeling of strong love or loyalty. So in other words, I might be devoted to you or I might be devoted to my wife, I've got a strong feeling of love, and there's this commitment that I have to her. Or it could be the use of time, money, or energy for a particular purpose. And so when we talk about devotions, what we're saying is that we have devoted some time to God. And during that time, we may read His Word, we may pray, we might sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as the Scripture says. We just might do anything that would bring us closer to God. It's a time that we just spend drawing closer to God. George Mueller, who is a great man of faith, said this, The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. That's amazing, isn't it? Because he's telling us there the the biggest priority we have in the day, and we might have a lot of things that need to get done each day, but the first one, The most important one is to make sure that my soul is happy in the Lord. And that's what devotions are about. That's why we start the day with God. Really, if you want to know what the rest of your day is going to look like, maybe just look back to the first hour or two of your day. If you spent some time with God, you'll make it through this day. If you hadn't spent time with God, you're going to be struggling all day long trying to catch up, aren't you? 
So it's very important. So if we're to have our soul be happy in the Lord, if he says that's so important, how do we do that? Has anyone ever looked at you and said, what are you upset about? I have one of those faces, I think, that every once in a while people just think I'm mad. I don't know. They'll, they'll come and, what are you upset about? I'm not upset with nothing. Why? And they go, well, the look on your face. That's just how God made me. But it doesn't mean the joy's not there. So I kind of turned it around now. When I go home, I always, no matter who's there, I look at Kathy. If she's there, I say, what are you upset about? And she'll nothing. You know, and so I just go on about, and then Kayla will come home from school, and she really gets torqued when I do it. I said, what are you upset about? Nothing. I go, why are you so grouchy then? She goes, I just walked in the door. <laughs> we need to be filled with joy. And if that's so important, how do we do that? Listen to what Psalm says. Psalm 1611, David said, you make known to me the path of life. And then he says this, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So if I want my soul to be happy, he tells me here that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joys. We just need to spend more time in God's presence, don't we? And yet we don't do that. It is something so necessary to us that if we were to put it on the same level as brushing our teeth and breakfast, we'd be spiritual giants, wouldn't we? But we seem to put it off. There was a Scottish preacher named Anu Bonar, and he made a commitment, actually three commitments, and I thought they were very challenging. He said his first commitment was not to speak to any man before speaking to Jesus. I like that. When we get up in the morning, just commit. I'm not talking to anybody until I talk to the Lord. And some of you are sitting there, and you're thinking, if you knew what my life's like, that's a good idea. And then he said, I don't want to do anything with my hands until I've been on my knees. Spend some time in prayer. And then his third one was this, not to read the papers until he had read his Bible. And most of us don't read newspapers anymore. Lots of times we look at the television for our news or we turn on the radio or we check our phones or our internet and all these sorts of things. But how many of us have ever been guilty of getting up in the morning and that's the first thing we do? You know, I found myself there quite a few times. I'll get up in the morning, stagger down the hall and turn on the news. And I don't know why I do that. It's all bad news anyway. But we need to spend time with God. It'll make a difference because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. And so I want to talk to you today about what we find in the presence of God that gives us this great joy. Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher, said, Oh, one hour with God infinitely exceeds all the pleasures and delights of this lower world. Just some time with God. And so here's some things that that we get in our time with God. Number one, in his presence, we find help when it's most needed. How many of us are honest enough to say we occasionally need some help? That life is not always easy. That there are challenges that we're faced with all the time. And that help may be directed in all sorts of ways. It may be at work and we're overwhelmed with it. We don't know how we're going to get everything done in the day that lies ahead of us. And maybe it's then that we need to spend a little time in the presence of God to find help when we need it most. Or maybe it's in our relationship. Brother Kevin mentioned in Sunday school this morning as we were talking about creation and Adam and Eve. And and we talked about why people don't spend time developing godly, healthy relationships in the culture that we live in. And one of the main answers was that it's work. And it's an awful lot of work. And maybe in our marriage we need help. Well, we're going to find it when we put ourselves in the presence of God. 
He's there for us if we just turn to him. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Since then we have a great high priest, talking about Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let's hang on to our faith, he says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus knows what we're going through. He has been here. He's done it. He's lived this life on earth. He knows the sorrows we face. He knows the trials. He knows the temptations. He knows how difficult it is. And because of that, he is merciful to us. In fact, in verse 16 of that passage, he says this, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we go into God's presence, that's exactly what we find is this help or this mercy and this grace that we so desperately need in times of need. If you're a parent, how many of you would acknowledge that there are times when we need help as parents? I mean, the help may be, you know, someone babysitting for us. Occasionally we need help like that. The help may be that we need someone to drop someone off at school like that. But if we're parents, let's be honest, sometimes the Lord help me not to kill this child help. They're just the patient's help. And it's exactly why we need to spend time in God's Word so that we can find that help. Psalm 61 says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, he says, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He says, For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. David's time with God was spent calling out to him for strength, for help. He said, Be my refuge. Be my shield. Be my strong rock. God, I need your help desperately. And so, as we go into this week, before tomorrow brings whatever it'll bring, I just challenge you. Get a game plan to spend time with God and find help in His presence. In His presence, we also find strength to face any challenge. Strength to face any challenge. Psalms 105 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. He says, Seek his presence continually. In God's presence, we find the strength to carry on. We find the strength to challenge things that are out before us and to face them head on. We find the strength to do what no one else thought that maybe we could do. Maybe we ourselves thought something was impossible. But by spending time in the presence of God, we get this strength that we desperately need. Philippians Paul writes, and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I I believe that means exactly what it says, that I can do all things, number one. That there's not a challenge that I'm going to be faced with that I can't make it through with Christ who strengthens me. And second thing, it's not that I do it on my own, but it's through Christ. There are some things, absolutely, that I cannot do on my own. But when I'm in the presence of God, and I spend my time with Jesus, and I have my life in his hands, all of a sudden, I'm strengthened beyond human understanding. You ever watch someone go through a tragedy? I've been, unfortunately, being a pastor, we deal with that all the time. And you see people go through horrendous things in their life, and and I've often marveled at how strong some people are. Some of the events that, that take place, that you just look and say, how are they doing? 
And I, in fact, I'll have people call me and say, how's this person doing? Or how? And I'll say, unbelievably strong. And you know the ones that are strong are the ones that have time in the presence of God. They're not the ones that when the tragedy strikes, all of a sudden they're running to find God. They've already found him. In fact, maybe that morning before the phone ever rang, they'd already been in his presence. We find strength when we, find, when we put ourselves in the presence of God. John 15 says this, abide in me and I in you. In other words, remain in Christ. Be in his presence. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. All this talk of vines and fruit and branches, but really what he's telling us is, if I remain in Christ and I have a close relationship with Christ, I can accomplish all that I need to accomplish. I'll have the strength to do it if I abide in him. And then he sums it up. But if I'm apart from him, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. And John 15 and 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So we find strength in the presence of God. We also find courage to overcome limitations when we're in God's presence. How many of us need courage over limitations? Do you realize that all of us have those limitations? And, and it's not hard to find it. Sometimes when we ask someone to do something, we find their limitations, don't we? Moses, remember what he was asked to do? God was going to send him to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel out of Pharaoh's hands. And he calls Moses, and Moses right away began to reveal his limitations. He said, I, I can't speak. I can't talk well. And God solved that. He brought him someone to speak for him. He said, they're not going to listen to me. Who am I that they listen to? And God solved that. He said, you go in my name. They'll listen. See, we all have limitations, but when we spend time in the presence of God, we are able to overcome. We have the courage to overcome those limitations. In Acts chapter 4, we find an interesting passage. And when you consider the Gospels, as the Gospels come to a close, Jesus, of course, has been crucified. But leading up to the crucifixion, we see his apostles. We see the disciples following behind him. And, and, and they are men that, that we marvel at today. But really, when you look closely at the things that took place leading up to Jesus' death, they were very fearful. In fact, in one passage, and we often get on to Peter for denying Christ, he was fearful. That's why he denied Christ. But it's interesting, he's the only one that's there. The others had left, and Peter was still there. So he gets a little bit more credit in my book than, than the others. But they had fear. They had limitations. They, they were not going to be able to do what God had called them to do. If they couldn't stand with Jesus as he was being tried and being crucified, how in the world would they ever stand up to a society that would ultimately martyr them for their preaching? And the way they did that was they found courage to overcome their limitations in the presence of God. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, now these are the people that they're preaching to, and Peter and John, of course, it wasn't too long ago, they were running for cover. But now they come back after Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's rose again. And the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And so it says the people, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. You see, they had spent time in the presence of Christ. 
And that's what made the difference. That's why he took these, these unlearned and ignorant men, the Scripture says. They were brute force men. They were fishermen. They were rough guys. But they took these men and they allowed, Jesus allowed them to do something that was astonishing to those that were listening. And the only explanation they could find out for how Peter and John were doing this was it says they perceived that they had been with Jesus. You and I may have limitations, and I'll not say what, what yours are or mine are, but you know what they are. They're the things that you say, I could never do this because of this. You'd be amazed what you could do if you'd let Christ work in you. Sometimes it's just the courage to overcome the limitations. Matthew Henry speaks about this passage, and he says this, that those who have been with Jesus, converse and communion with him, have been attending on his word, praying in his, in his name, and celebrating his death and resurrection. He says, these people conduct themselves in everything so that those who talk with them may take knowledge of them that they have been with Jesus. And this makes them so holy and heavenly and spiritual and cheerful. This has raised them so much above the world, he says, and filled them with another world. One may know that they have been in the mount by his shining on their faces. We need to spend time in the presence of Christ. It's what's going to allow us to overcome our limitations. Third, fourthly, we, need, we find peace in the presence of God. You ever need a little peace? I sometimes feel like the Calgon bath commercial. Remember the commercial? And she gets in the, Calgon, take me away. The kids are all locked outside and bubble bath time it is. Sometimes we just need some peace. And it may not be the bubble bath time. It just may be peace in general. You ever feel like the world is closing in on you from every direction? That you go to work and it's tough there. You go home and it's tough there. You go to church and no one wants to sit by you there. I mean, life just gets difficult at times. Someone is squabbling here. Someone's squabbling there. There's always drama around us. And at those moments, you just say, I just want to be alone. I just want some peace and some quiet. I raised three daughters. So at one point in our life, my life, I was living with four women, believe it or not. I understand the need for peace. Trust me. And I'm going to need it this afternoon after I just said that, by the way. <laughs> but I know where to find peace. We find peace in the presence of God. And it's a supernatural peace. It's beyond understanding. No one will understand how we can have peace in the situations that we face when we've been in God's presence. Paul writes that we should not let anxiety get the best of us. And yet, how many of us struggle with anxiety? This, this worry about tomorrow, this worry about what if? What if this happens or what if that happens? And most of the things we worry what if never do happen, do they? We should spend time in God's presence. We'll find peace there. Philippians 4 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. That's devotions. That's spending time in God's presence. But he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We find that peace in the presence of God. And it just might be that in the course of a day, you may be going, and, and all of a sudden it just feels like everything is going wrong, that you may need to steal away somewhere and just spend a moment with God. 
just, just to take a deep breath and say, God, are you still here with me? God, you see what's going on. I need your help. And it's amazing that when we get alone with God in his presence, how his spirit just seems to sweep over us, and we're reminded, I'm there. I'll be with you. I'll get you through this. And so Jesus tells us that in his presence we find peace. In fact, in Matthew 11, he made this statement, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And really, he's not talking about physical labor. He's talking about spiritual labor here. Because he's addressing a group of people that have had so much pressure put on them by the religious establishment to live a certain way, to measure up to the law. And Jesus comes along and he says, if you're tired and you're weary from trying to live up to other people's expectations, he says, come to me. And he says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In his presence, we find peace. In John 16, he tells us that we can find peace in a world that's filled with all sorts of trials and sorrows. He says, I have told you all that in, so that you may have peace in me. Here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, he says, because I have overcome the world. We find peace. In 1 Kings, we find the prophet alone and looking for God desperately. He is fearful. He's afraid. And as he gets in a cave somewhere and begins to listen for God and look for God, he realizes that God's not in a great earthquake and God's not in a mighty wind and God doesn't appear in a fire before him. But he says he came and he spoke to him in a low whisper or a still, small voice. That's the kind of peace that God offers us. If we just get alone with him, he'll assure us that everything is well. And finally this morning, and probably most importantly, why we need to be in the presence of God is this, because in his presence, we find intimacy with a loving God. We find intimacy. James chapter 4 says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, he says, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. But the key there is draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. In John 15, verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide, he says, in my love. He goes on, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that by my, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In God's presence, we find this intimacy with him. And I don't know if it's just me being a guy or not, but many times when we hear the word intimacy, we think a whole different thing, don't we? Uh, I mean, be honest. How many of you here, when you, when you hear intimacy, you think of love stories? You think of romance? You think of chick flicks? In other words, boring movies, right? You think of first kisses and steamy passion. And so the thought that I would have intimacy with God, you said, what, what, what is that all about? But I think that's because our society and our culture has no idea what intimacy really is. It's far beyond this physical manifestation of love. And unfortunately, many will seek true intimacy in this life, and they're never going to find it. They may find intimacy with a mate, but still feel like something is missing. 
And that's because, first and foremost, you and I were designed to have an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. He created man to have a relationship with Him. And so we go around and we try to have relationships with all sorts of people, but it will never satisfy us until we have a relationship with God. The woman at the well that we spoke of last week is an example of that. She'd had six husbands, six men in her life, and yet she was still empty. Intimacy is far more than our culture has made it. Intimacy is about a deep relationship. It's about knowing someone extremely well. It's about knowing their fears, their hurts, their desires. Nothing hidden. It's transparency. It's being real, being open, being vulnerable. That's what intimacy is. One speaker at a marriage conference was speaking on intimacy, and he said that the word intimacy almost explained itself. And he challenged people to pronounce it into me see. And I think that is a great definition of what intimacy is. Is it opening myself up and saying, God, here I am. Look deep down inside of me. See what you see, God. Reveal it to me. And I think that's the definition that David probably had in mind in Psalms 139 when he said this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. I mean, think about the things that David describes there. He says, God, you've searched me and known me. There's nothing hidden from you, God. And the question this morning is this. Do you have that kind of relationship with God? I mean, it really, it's impossible to hide anything from God. And David acknowledges that in this psalm a little bit further down. But the question is, are you open to that? Are you taking time to spend in God's presence and just saying, God, look down inside me. Tell me what you see. Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? He says, you know, when I sit down and rise up. In other words, God knows everything about us. He knows when we start the day and he knows when we end the day. I was laughing and preachers have their secrets. I shouldn't reveal this secret, but Brother McAllister told me one time that at a certain point he realized he needed to start taking a nap. And so he began to practice and he said that he could sit in his recliner and answer the phone and no one would ever know he was taking a nap. He could answer it on the second ring, I think. He had it down to a science. He didn't want anybody to know that he was human and needed some rest. The wonderful thing about God is he knows all of us. And he knows when we've slept in, and he knows when we've stayed up late. He knows everything. He says, you discern my thoughts from afar off. You ever had a relationship with someone like that where they knew what you were thinking? Kathy and I were somewhere the other day, and we walked past a couple in the mall, and, and I looked at Kathy, and she looked at me, and we both had a funny smile on her. We didn't say a thing, but each of us knew what the other was thinking. We just knew our thoughts. And he says, God, that's the way you are with me. He says, you know my thoughts from way off. And then he says, Lord, there's not a word that comes to my tongue that you don't know it all together. You ever had that kind of relationship with someone where as soon as they said something, you just said, I knew you were going to say that. 
That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. To know us so intimately that he knows what we're going to say before we ever say it. He says, you lay your hand upon me. And he says, this knowledge is so wonderful. But David goes further than this. He opens himself up to God. He doesn't just acknowledge that God can do all these things. But he is inviting God to do these things. He's inviting God to search his heart. He's asking God to examine his inner being. He's asking him to reveal his shortcomings. And how long has it been since we've really done that with God? That we really just got alone and said, God, as far as I know, I'm okay. But you tell me from your perspective, God, what's going on in my heart? It's amazing when we get real honest with God, we begin to find out things that we need to change that we had never even thought of because of this intimate relationship we have with him. When we think we're okay, God comes along and he says, well, do you really want to know? Do you really want the truth? So David continues in verse 23, and he says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, he says, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's intimacy. To say, God, I'm wide open before you. Whatever you see, God, it's there. I'm not hiding it. Tell me what I need to do, God. Show me the path that I should take. And we will only experience that when we get into the presence of God. And the problem is, most people don't. We come to church and we're happy to be here and we say, and we say, man, it was good being in in God's house today. We might even say, it was, man, you could just feel the Spirit there today. And we were in God's presence. And that's what we pray for. We pray every Sunday, God, fill this place with your presence. But what about your quiet time? Just you and God. Are you doing that? Are you finding some time each day just to spend time in his presence? Because it's there, you're going to find the help that you need. You're going to find the strength to face whatever the challenge is tomorrow. You're going to find the courage to overcome the limitations. You're going to find the peace that no one else is going to even understand. Because you're going to have this intimacy with God. Listen, once again, we're here right now. It's all good as far as we know. But we really don't know what tomorrow holds. And the Bible says a wise man foresees danger and he takes precaution. Look ahead and realize things may not, may not always be the way they are right now and be prepared for it. Spend time in his presence.